0: Welcome, to a night of total terror. (gasps) Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living.
1: While our opening clip, from Night of the Living Dead in 1968, it seems like today there are more zombies than ever, at least on TV and in the movies, bringing with them their ravenous appetite for brains. But our guest today has a different kind of brains on the mind, the brains of scientists in these zombie movies. Dr. Leah Ceccarelli, a professor of communication at the University of Washington, examines the way that scientists are portrayed in contemporary zombie blockbusters what those representations tell us about how Americans currently perceive the role of the scientist in society, how that might conflict with the way that scientists like to portray themselves, how we might develop a healthier understanding of scientists' role in society. Welcome to Ten Minute Techcom. I want to thank Dr. Ceccarelli for sitting down with me, as well as the UAH Humanities Center, which funded the visit that led to this conversation. I'm scared. How do we know they're coming? They're coming. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ceccarelli. I really was excited to talk with you about your recent article, which looks at the way that scientists are portrayed in contemporary American zombie movies. Can you give us a few examples of these portrayals?
0: Sure, I uh, outlined four types of scientists in my research, but I think those can really be divided further into just two, the fool and the hero. Uh, the scientist as fool is clumsy and naive, like the incompetent young virus hunter in World War Z, Dr. Fossbach uh, he shoots himself as soon as he encounters uh, zombies and has no influence from his science. Uh, also in that same movie, we have Dr. Spellman, who was a chief vaccinologist at a WHO compound who seeks a cure for the zombie infection, only to clumsily cut his hand on a piece of glass while working with a blood sample and thus contaminating himself, becoming a zombie and, and killing 80 other people in his, his wing of the research facility. And you would think that a respected vaccinologist, <laughs> you know, working in a high containment facility like that would have better lab skills. Right, but, follow
1: more safety protocols, probably.
0: But not, not in this movie. So that's uh, one aspect or one characteristic of the flu. And, and the other is the scientist who is an immoral experimenter whose ambition is actually the cause of the pandemic. So, for example, in the movie 28 Days Later, the zombie apocalypse begins when chimpanzees infected with a rage virus are released by animal rights protesters and uh, we get introduced there to a lab technician a lab or lab coated scientist who tries to justify the horrifying experiments he's been conducting on these animals by saying that in order to cure you must first understand the chimps are infected they're, they're highly contagious they've been given an inhibitor infected with what In order to cure, you must first
1: understand.
0: Infected with what? Rage. Now, of course, that's completely ironic, as it was his very efforts to understand that uh, lead to his being infected. He's uh, promptly bitten by one of the enraged animals on which he experimented and (laughs) turns into a zombie. Uh, And we see a very similar scientific fool in the 2007 movie I Am Legend. Uh, Dr. Crippen is introduced early in the movie, uh, played by Emma Thompson. She discovers a cure for cancer, right, vaulting ambition, this wonderful cure for cancer. And then it mutates into the Crippen virus that destroys 90% of humanity and turns most of the rest into cannibalistic monsters.
1: So, Dr. Crippen, give it to me in a nutshell. Well, the premise is... Quite simple. Um, take something designed by nature and reprogram it to make it work for the body rather than against it. You're talking about a virus. Indeed, yes. In this case, the measles um, virus, which has been engineered at a genetic level to be helpful rather than harmful. Um, and I find the best way to describe it is if you can, if you can imagine your body as a highway, and you picture the virus as a very fast car um, being driven by a very bad man. Imagine the damage that that car could cause. Mm-hmm. But then if you replace that man with a cop, the picture changes, and that's essentially what we've done.
0: So that's the fool, right? Whether mm-hmm. innocent or ethically compromised, the scientist is fool, I think is a very common persona of the scientist in zombie movies. And then the second main character of the scientist seen in these modern zombie movies is the scientist as hero. Uh, we see that in... I am legend. The other big scientist Mm -hmm. in that movie is the muscled survivor Robert Neville, who's a scientist working tirelessly in his basement laboratory to find a cure for the Crippen virus. Uh, And in the final cut of that movie, he sacrifices himself in order to save uh, the vaccine that he's created against the virus and thus becomes a legend. In 2009, a deadly virus burned through our civilization, pushing humankind to the edge of extinction. Dr. Robert Neville dedicated his life to the discovery of a cure and the restoration of humanity. On September 9, 2012, at approximately 8.49pm, he discovered that cure. And at 8.52, he gave his life to defend it. We are his legacy. This is his legend. But of course, there's another version of that Mm -hmm. movie that is sold as the alternate theatrical version with controversial ending. (laughs) Uh, And in that version, Neville is a hero too, but this time his heroism comes not from his development of the vaccine, but from his ability to recognize at the end that the experimental subjects on which he's been working, these dark seekers that he's caught and experimented on in the basement, are human beings with a right to refuse treatment. This is a self-awareness in that version of the movie that's long in coming, but when it comes, he's horrified to discover that he's a legend in a very different way, a not so positive, a legendary monster uh, to those of this new race of human dark seekers.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So I think that that version. Of Dr. Neville is actually more positive it 's a more positive view of the scientist it 's a scientist as hero, but as self reflective self aware hero as an ethical agent uh, rather than as an unethical agent mm-hmm. or as an agent anyway who re- recognizes uh, ethical complexity sure
1: sure and so speaking of uh, you know this these varying portrayals of scientists in film by filmmakers and actors and everything. How do these contrast or compare to the way that scientists often like to portray themselves?
0: Yes, well, as you know, my most recent book was about how scientists portray themselves in public discourse, uh, and in that book, On the Frontier of Science, I write about how scientists really like to portray themselves through that hero myth as heroic frontiersman, as inheritor of the frontier spirit that's so essential to the American ethos. And I I think that that version of scientists does get picked up as a, a type of official treatment of the persona of the scientists. In today's newspaper, I saw an article about Barack Obama giving a speech at the annual White House Science Fair yesterday in which he tells the budding young scientists in the room, you are sharing in this essential spirit of discovery that America is built on. That's very much that frontier spirit. And I think that's great. It's nice to see bright young scientists represented in the public as explorers who represent what's so great about America rather than as foolish, clumsy objects of scorn.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Right? This is the ascent of the nerd in our modern time. Sure. (laughs) That's a good thing. Right. Especially for us intellectuals. Mm -hmm. But I also wish that more scientists would also make that self-reflexive move that Neville makes in the Mm -hmm. end of the alternate ending of that movie to recognize Mm -hmm. that there's always two sides to every historic story right on the American frontier when we opened up all that land that was so so so-called uninhabited uh, well it was inhabited uh, and we neglected the rights of Native Americans who were already there and I think that in a similar way I think a lot of scientists today forget that the subjects of their their scientific inquiry, whether that subject be vanishing rainforest that they see as desperately in need of Mm bioprospecting or uh, genomic territory that's rapidly being claimed and developed by biomedical researchers, that these metaphorical spaces are actually occupied or owned by people (laughs) who claim a right to them um, to protect those metaphorical territories from scientific exploration. So I, I guess I, I scientists like to see themselves as heroes. I would like to see them see themselves also as ethically complex and thoughtful heroes.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So you want more portrayals in film like the alternate ending of I Am Legend where the scientist is doing more thinking along with the experimenting and heroism that we sometimes associate.
0: Yes. I mean, I think I'd like to see us move beyond the hero-fool dichotomy mm-hmm. and come up with somewhere in between where the hero uh, recognizes the ways in which he is being foolish. Mm-hmm. right? And then we can have a more thoughtful scientist as citizen, right? Who connects with the rest of the public, who isn't just a figure of scorn or a figure of hero worship, mm-hmm. but is a more healthy vision of the scientist as human being.
1: Right, right. It's a, a three-dimensional character in movie yes, terms.
0: Exactly. That I mean. That's exactly yeah. it.
1: All right. Well, thanks for talking with us about this. This is really interesting.
0: Thank you so much.